Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast, season four. My name is Daniel Lowry, and I'm joined by my friend, Kurt Tuffensam. Today, we are talking all things gospel movement, prayer, and disciple making. Kurt and his wife, Penny, have been married for 23 years. They have a teenage son and adult daughter who is married. They have been involved in evangelism, church planting, and missions since the 1990s when they both came to Christ through powerful encounters with Jesus. Kurt is currently the pastor of People's Church in the San Fernando Valley, which exists to reach the least, the last, and the lost. He is also the founder of Mission Rise, a global nonprofit missions agency seeking to catalyze the church to prayer and mission. Kurt, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we were joking in the beginning that we met through a friend of a friend of a friend. <laughs> so it's just yeah. kind of a random kind of getting together and we got together for coffee. And I, I, I mean, I felt like we headed off immediately. So I've enjoyed getting to know you and kind of I've been in your couple of your missional spaces and seeing what you guys are doing. And it's super duper encouraging. So the opportunity to get you on and share your story, uh, I'm just super excited. So um, that being said, we try to start most episodes off with a funny story. So do you have a funny outreach story for us? I do. Yeah. So we do motel Bible studies. And when we first started in the particular motel where we are now, we were down the street at a park and we have tons of kids and they're totally crazy and rambunctious. And we just do different crazy stuff to try to keep their attention. And one of the things I had thought of was when I was young, you know, they'd always have these like festivals where someone gets dunked in the dunk tank. So I was thinking, what could we do that like, just to give a prize to the kids so that keep them engaged in the Bible study and the story. So I volunteered one of our volunteers to be the guy that gets water dumped on his head at the end. And the person that gets to dump it is the kid that answers the most questions and is the most engaged in the Bible study. So everybody's like really trying hard that day. And it turns out that we were going to use room temperature water. It was pretty hot outside, but we were going to use room temperature water. But the kids spilled their ice cream in there and we couldn't use it. We had to dump it out. But the only water we had was the water in the ice chest. So Albert, one of our volunteers, this poor guy, he's a huge dude, right? And he's sitting in this chair and we set up this other chair. The guy, the kid climbs up and you just see the look on Albert's face. I have a video of this. It's great. And he's, he's winching. And, and the ice comes and he jumps up like, like feet into the air, this huge guy. And he screams and runs around. And it's like, you know, he just had all this ice water dumped on him. So I felt really, really bad. It turned out worse than I thought it would be. I didn't know it was going to be ice on his head, but the kids loved it. So it worked out great. Yeah. What was that thing years ago? It was like the challenge. You saw it all over Instagram. Oh, that's right. Were yeah, I forgot ice. about that. Yeah, I don't the remember what it was. It was like for some, yeah, yeah. So you guys did it for Jesus. Well, you got to suffer for Jesus. That's the first yeah. point if you're listening, right? You got to yeah. suffer for Jesus. So super cool, dude. Hey, you want to start off by just sharing a little bit about, you know, kind of who you are, where you came from, your story, a little bit about how Jesus touched your heart. And, you know, we'll kind of get into what you're doing now a little bit later, but that just, that's where I wanted to start. Yeah. So grew up in a home. We weren't Christian. We didn't believe in any God at all. We were just basically living the American dream. My dad was in construction. We had a lot of toys like RVs and boats and motorcycles and lots of land and grew up in the Midwest. And so at 15, I just had this, God came and in, in, into my life, God came and searched for me I wasn't looking for God. At that point, at 15, I had already, you know, I'd already been drinking a lot. I was smoking at the age of like 11 or 12 and stealing cigarettes from my parents and from the corner store and, you know, just doing little petty crime and stuff like that. But yeah, I was, I was very far from God. And, you know, it was all just about making ourselves feel good in the moment and partying and acting crazy. And Christ came into my life and it totally changed everything. It was at a really dark time. My parents were getting divorced and 
went through a, a painful several years, just them fighting. And it was insane. And, you know, up at three in the morning and things crashing in the house and, you know, in a, in a suburban neighborhood, it, it seemed like everything was usually just pretty calm, not much drama, but the drama was our house. And so, you know, it was, it was terrible, but Jesus met me in that moment. And I just, I was by myself and I heard God speak to me. I heard God's voice audibly. He said, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will find rest for your soul. I had only heard about Jesus a few times before that. And I just thought this is the weirdest story. Like why would it God become a man and then hang on a cross? And that's how somehow peace comes. Like it sounds very violent. I don't understand it. But in the moment that I heard God speak to me, it all clicked, it all made sense. And I, in that moment, I was like, well, I guess if God's gonna talk to me, I've never prayed before, I've never read the Bible before, but let's have a conversation. So I started asking God all kinds of questions, you know? And I remember that in that moment, Jesus telling me that he wanted me to go out and tell others what he had done for me. So I just took it literally, I'm like, all right, well, I guess, you know, God told me to do it. I should just do it. So I start telling all my friends and all the people I'm partying with, and they all thought I was crazy. Immediately, they're like, oh, wow. So what was that LSD called? I want to get a hit of that. And no one took me <laughs> seriously. So, you know, it was a big, big change happened. And I ended up getting baptized at a Methodist church because it's the first church that I found. And the pastor was teaching me and mentoring me. And this guy, man, he was filled with the Holy Spirit because from the moment that I heard God's voice, I started experiencing miraculous things happening all around me. And this pastor at the Methodist church, which Methodists aren't typically known for being, you know, believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And I didn't know that, of course, I had no idea. But anyway, he was filled with the Spirit and he was teaching me. And I would tell him like, you know, God will tell me to say something to this person. I don't even know this person. How do I know something about them? What is going on? And he's like, oh yeah, you know, that's like a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge and that's in scripture. And he would show me. And so I didn't know anything, but after a couple of years, just losing all my friends and, you know, not even knowing hardly any Christians my age, I finally met some other people who had come to Christ. And anyway, fast forward from there, that had a major impact on me. So I was a skateboarder. I started doing skateboard ministry. I started doing skateboard outreach and I had started leading Bible studies around the city. And we had like multiple locations where we were doing Bible studies. And it really was a time of revival, I would call it. I was 16 or 17, driving all these kids around in my car, going to skate spots. Lots of kids were giving their lives to Jesus. We made our own tracks and distributed thousands of Bibles and tracks all over. But, you know, that really kind of set me up because then you know, I ended up getting married. I, I went to Bible college a year, went to design school for a year. I went to film school in Orlando after getting married. Our daughter was like three months old. We moved away to Orlando, went to LA 2003, but I just expected that, you know, God was going to move in power. And then I experienced a lot of years working in film and television where I knew that God had called me there, but I wasn't seeing any fruit. You know, it was over a decade doing that, not knowing, okay, Lord, what are you doing? And then I ended up taking this mission class in 2009 called Perspectives. And that really challenged us. It broadened our view of, of scripture, of history, of the history of the church. And so after taking Perspectives, uh, we decided to, you know, God was leading us to be in ministry again. And, and so I was then doing film and television part-time started a nonprofit, raised money, started traveling around the world. Our first film that we made was in, in Mexico. We made these films to, to mobilize the church and it's called Los Traficantes. You can look it up, but yeah, it, it won awards. It was, it was on uh, Cine Latino, the release in, in I think 2014 or 15. And in the initial release, three or 400,000 people watched it because they are able to track who's watching the, the movie. But I think, you know, probably near a million people have seen the movie, but it's a true story of a former drug lord that came to Christ in a prison. Very powerful story. Didn't know what the term disciple-making movement was at that time, but anyway, that's what was happening there. And in the years since, you know, traveled a lot around the world and now ended up coming back to Los Angeles to retool our, our nonprofit in the last two years to really teach people 
about the power of prayer and how to get out on mission and, and catalyze the church. So that's a hopefully quick enough overview. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really, I was struck by what you said, like that when you were in Los Angeles doing film and things like that, like you weren't seeing a lot of fruit, like you knew that the Lord desires to move in that way, but you weren't seeing it. And I think you and I have engaged enough people in kind of the DMM circles and things like who want to see fruit, but they're not seeing it right now, right? It just seems to me that it's almost part of DMM. Like there's there's a season that you're going to go through where you're not going to see much fruit. Like it's not an abnormality. What encouragement would you give to people right now who who really have that desire, but they're not seeing the maybe the fruit that they want to? Or what would be your thoughts in that realm? Well, I mean, for one, we know scripturally that God is sovereign over everything and he chooses how he wants to work and when he wants to do it. We have zero control over when God decides to move. And if we feel that it's not time and God says it's time, it doesn't really matter what we think. Our opinion doesn't really count when it comes to that. But barring that, (laughs) you know, just keeping that in mind, I think in order to see breakthroughs spiritually, for one, I I think, you know, there's a few, few principles that I live by. Number one, do what Jesus did. Jesus was always spending his time with the people who were actually hungry and desperate for change. So if you're looking to see where is God moving, Look for people that are hurting and broken and outcast and have no options because, you know, Jesus would come into Jerusalem, for example, and instead of going to the nice, beautiful temple area to talk to religious people, instead he would show up at the hood, at the ghetto, the worst place where all the criminals and outcasts and prostitutes and tax collectors would hang out and party. And he would show up there. He would see people in desperate need and he would meet those needs. And so that's what he said he came to do. But so often as Christians, we're not going to the people or the places who are already prepared even to receive the gospel. And, you know, of course, it's also a matter of asking the Holy Spirit to lead you. As far as fruitfulness, that's only something God controls. But going and finding those who are hungry for God gives you a a lot better opportunity because you're doing what Jesus did. And if you do what Jesus did, you'll experience what Jesus experienced. But there are people that are hungry. There are people that are desperate. And it takes seeing it through the spiritual lens. And you have to hunger and thirst for it yourself. I think that's even a bigger key is that if you're just trying to accomplish something, you know, because it's good or because you think this is what God's calling you to, but you don't really have a hunger for it. You're not desperate where you're willing to give up your entire life for it, then you're probably not going to really see as much results in that way. Yeah. I think I tell people, I mean, I'm, I am definitely no guru, nor do I have pretty much any answers to much of anything, you know, but I just say that I am flabbergasted over and over by the role of prayer in movement. And I, I think we, I, and I include myself as, you know, definitely guilty of this is we undervalue and underplay the role of like serious kingdom activating prayer, mm. you know, like really, really doing that. What, what have been your experiences with prayer and, and how that's kind of a breakthrough into seeing some fruit? Well, I would say, especially going back to that decade or so where we came to Hollywood, working in Hollywood and involved in a couple different churches during that time. Um, and just seeing the stagnation of the church and seeing the lack of desire to see God's kingdom break through, but also just seeing a lack of, you know, people getting baptized, people coming to the Lord, people willing to really follow the commands of Jesus, which are in fact impossible to obey his commands. Impossible unless you are dying to the flesh, unless you are actually walking in the spirit. And so, you know, I would just say that what I've seen with prayer and breakthrough is that as I've traveled around the world, I've seen that the church in the Southern Hemisphere, they pray like crazy. Like churches in Africa, India, Middle East, 
Um, they pray more than they preach, more than they teach, more than they strategize, more than anything else. I love the like the Friday night prayer watches. You know, they'll the, the church. It's just normal. Like, okay, we're we're done with work for the day, six seven p.m. We're just gonna pray till we fall asleep at like three in the morning every single Friday. You know, and why are they? And what I've seen is why are they praying like that? Because their whole life depends on it. Because they don't have enough of whatever it is that they need. They have people in their family, in their village, whatever, who are in desperately difficult situations. And then you would say, well, okay, so what do we do here in the West where it's so comfortable and easy to live and things are automated and we barely even have to get off the couch and we can survive just fine. And so I think the reality of God's kingdom is that anytime you follow Jesus where he is going, he's going to lead you off the couch out of comfortability. You're, you're not going to be comfortable. You're going to be extremely uncomfortable but you're going to experience God's power in a way that you can't unless you're willing to make those steps. He's not going to leave you right there. You're not going to be able to live the American dream or you know, pursue what success looks like in our culture and have an intimate, vibrant relationship with God. And if you have a vibrant prayer life, I guarantee you won't be sitting on the couch because when you pray, your feet yeah. move. <laughs> That's so funny, though, but isn't, isn't it the common conception is that prayer is the opposite, right? That your feet don't move, but in reality, it's the spurring to movement, right? Yeah, definitely. You, you talked a little bit earlier about DMM and disciple-making movements, and so I, I, I just wanted you to share a little bit with us about what were some of the foundational points in your story that kind of led you to the disciple-making movement philosophy or understanding of like how ministry should and does work? So, yeah. So years and years of being in the church, being ordained as an elder in uh, 2012 in my church here in, in North Hollywood and, and Burbank area, and all my experience in, in many different churches, seeing that we, obviously, we focus so much on, you know, building a Sunday service, like all the volunteers end up spending most of their effort to put on the Sunday service for the preaching, for the worship, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But we put all this emphasis, all of these resources into it. And then we wonder why is it so hard to reach people in, in the culture or in the city, but they have to jump all these hurdles on this, you know, well-crafted experience that we create for, for worship gatherings or, or classes or programs or whatever. We always want to do it on our turf the way that we prefer. And so as I was traveling around the world, I started to get to know a lot of missionaries through Perspectives class and then Connected ended up being invited to speak at Urbana in 2009 on what it means to be missional as a mainstream filmmaker. And that connected me too with other people where I ended up going to Lausanne in 2010 in Cape Town and meeting different missionaries, meeting people from around the world. And, it, you know, as I traveled to make films, I would be in these rural village areas, like in India or Africa or wherever, and I'd be seeing how the church was just exploding, you know, thousands of churches being planted, literally, and, and no documentation. It's not like you have this clear plan and strategy. Okay, we're going to do like 20 churches next month and then 30 and then 50. No, it's like, People are just coming to Jesus and they're being impacted by the power of God in their context. And for me, it was looking at scripture and being like, man, why is it so different in the book of Acts than what we're seeing right here today? You know, and I think that's the big question people really just have to ask is, where do you see in the New Testament ever, ever Paul or any apostle or Jesus or anyone saying, now, after the first or second century, just so you know, Pentecost won't apply anymore at all. There won't be this power of the Spirit. You won't be able to, there won't be any kind of spiritual power, insight, you know, prophecy or discernment or any of these spiritual gifts. We're going to become so wise and so well-trained and so academic, we won't need God's Spirit anymore. Well, that's a huge hindrance. And then, you know, just seeing again, like in the villages where, you know, they barely 
like in Ethiopia, for example, and, and there's this tribe called the Afar, they're an unreached people group. And I met someone leading a movement there, you know, where thousands of people are coming to Christ. And the way that they, you know, gather together, it's around the watering hole. It's where the camels gather and they study the scripture together. Or they pray, they worship at the watering hole on a Tuesday or on a Friday or whenever, you know, but as far as like Sundays and this, all this cultural stuff that, that we put so much emphasis on, it's really limiting. So if we start to peel all that back and the principles that we learn from the book of Acts and the New Testament, which fuels what a discipleship movement is, we start to peel back those layers. We start to realize that we can actually uninhibit the gospel. Like we can set it free in our neighborhood. Like anyone on the street, like we could have church on the street corner. We could go do a Bible study at the grocery store, which we've had friends do. You know, one of the guys that is now at our church, he had just gotten out of prison. He was in 30 years and he'd been looking for a church for like four years. Well, one of the guys at our church was at the grocery store, saw him, offered him a New Testament or a, a gospel of John. And the guy's like, well, do you actually have a whole Bible? And so, yeah. So they sat, they had a Bible study together at the Vons. And this guy ends up coming to our church. And now he's like, he's there all the time. He's a prayer warrior. You know, he had a lot of training inside the prison, a lot of time to think and meditate and pray. And God really developed a prayer life inside of him. And his life is so fruitful now as after he got out of prison. But, you know, I mean, just seeing how just the things that Paul did, right? Like he's trying to go to one place and the spirit directs him to another and introduces him to some specific people along the way. And he ends up in Philippi, you know, it starts with the lady by the river, what they're, they're, you know, spiritual people. So he goes there, well, maybe they want to hear about Christ. Well, they immediately receive it with gladness. He, and then he ends up, of course, getting arrested which is like, oh, shoot, the plan's not working out very well, except actually this is the plan. So he's in prison, leads the jailer to Christ. Churches are just getting planted everywhere. And that's, I think, the, the power, what I like to say, the power of the mustard seed. If we can recognize what the power of the mustard seed is, then we understand we don't need a lot of infrastructure buildings, programs. Of course, you know, maybe at a time, maybe those things are beneficial, but those things are never going to substitute for actually introducing people to God's presence, his power, his transformational, you know, transformational power that really will change their life. Yeah, I think the sad thing is you, the last thing you said about introducing to the power and the presence is like somewhere along the way, the church has adopted the idea that a worship service is introducing him to the power <laughs> And presence of Christ, that my programs and my events, like that, that is, I mean, when we think about it in the church, like what, what is our evangelistic strategy, a worship service? Like that's our evangelistic strategy. Like, so someone's going to go into a town, you know, like a, I don't know, like a Santa Fe, New Mexico, and they, you know, God's called us here. So what are we going to do? Let's hurry up and launch a service. Like that's our evangelistic strategy. And so it's refreshing to hear you talking about something completely different. So tell me, so you traveling around the world, you're doing film, married, kids, you know, the whole deal. And then God puts in your heart the people's church. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of how that came about and what you guys are doing today? So I would say that here's the starting point is 2015 in the middle of the summer, I didn't realize how hot it would be in North, Northern India in June, but we went there. It was so hot. And there, that's we went not there a bright to, decision, man. <laughs> not, it was the local. I, I, I question your wisdom now. <laughs> it was, it was the locals that said, Hey, don't worry. It's not that hot. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Never listen to the locals, man. <laughs> I was looking at, I was looking at the, uh, you know, the local news reporting before we went. And it said that literally the blacktop was melting and the lines on the road were all swirled, had become like a, a oh. pool of melted blacktop. So yeah, that's yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah. this, this is a bad idea. So anyway, we were there, <laughs> but there was a revival that had started about 15 years prior. The reason we went, we heard about these stories, over 100,000 Hindus following Jesus, and it was a totally indigenous movement. 
And so we landed there in this place. It was in a, a city that used to be called Allahabad until the very Hindu strong government changed the name to a Hindu name because Allahabad was more of a Muslim name. And anyway, I say it started there because we went to research stories. We wanted to make a film there. Maybe someday I will because these stories are so incredible. But while I was there, God was doing, stirring something in me and something major because this was really for me the point where I was like, okay, something different just has to happen. I had come from some meetings at our local church where again, I was in leadership and we were talking about the stagnation. What are we going to do about it? All this. And then I come there and it's like, you know, just an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, what is the difference? What is going on here? Well, God highlighted a few things for me. Number one, the people there were anguished. They were hungry and they would just spend hours in prayer crying out to God and God would deliver. God would answer their prayers. And then on the flip side, back in, in Los Angeles, it was hard to get five people together in a, a church of a few hundred for a prayer meeting for a half an hour or an hour, you know, but there there's thousands of people prostrated on their face, crying out to God, you know, and God is setting them free from demonic oppression and from, you know, all kinds of situations that they find themselves in. And so I saw that there was a real anguish. And, and I think honestly, you know, the thing that I would say about anything concerning discipleship, it always starts with hunger and desire, everything. If you hunger and desire God, if you want him, if you want to be in his presence, you're not trying to accomplish a task or a mission or whatever, but you actually want to be with Jesus and you want to obey him and you want to glorify him in your life. That hunger is what's going to allow you to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. That hunger draws God's presence into your situation. Look for that hunger in others and try to cultivate it in yourself. So I saw bold faith. I saw people that were truly filled with the Holy Spirit. They weren't afraid of anything. They, it was illegal in their context to make disciples or evangelize, and they didn't care. They just were doing it by the thousands. I saw that they were constantly in prayer, of course, as you know, believers that were serving the Lord in that way. And then they were going to those who were hard to reach because those were the people that were most receptive. You know, those the people on the fringes were the most receptive. And I think if we could learn from that in our own, in the context of Los Angeles, there's 140,000 gang members in Los Angeles. I looked up some stats. We're the gang capital of the nation. We have, I think, over, they say, 900,000 addicts and only about 30,000 in rehab programs. So we know that's a problem. So many drugs are distributed in our, in our city there's so much crime. There's so much homelessness. These problems are completely impossible, but they're not impossible for God. And so if the church would recognize that God loves to show that he can do things that human beings can't ever possibly do. If we have a big vision and we go after it in prayer and we unite together, I believe that you know we are going to see revival because we're ripe for it. And so anyone who's listening, any other part of the world where you're like, oh man, we got some serious problems right now. Well, that's a perfect opportunity for God to step in and show his power. So you're in India, you're seeing this revival that stirs something in your heart, which I'm assuming turns into the seeds of the people's church. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I did. I did get off track. No, there. no, no, man. It was a good rant. I'm, so, I'm, I'm with you. So, yeah. So, so. I heard God speak to me while I was there, which again, it's not that I hear God's voice so clearly all the time, but it was very clear. I want to do this in Los Angeles. And so 2015, I'm like, okay, Lord, what does that mean? And I'm thinking that in the years to come. And I end up joining a church and being a pastor in North Hollywood, where we ended up leading a lot of gang members to Christ and baptizing them. And unfortunately, the church had to close down at the end of 2018. And then I got hired at a church in Cincinnati, was pastoring there. And at that church, it just was a clear picture for me of the state of the church. Like, what what's the health analysis of our church around the nation? And people just were so comfortable. 
upper middle class, unwilling to, you know, do the hard work. And so it was a very difficult, they invited me because they said, look, you're very missional. We think you could, you know, really help us engage in the inner city where the church building was there. So I got to work doing that, changing all the discipleship processes in the church as the pastor of discipleship and outreach, launching all kinds of outreach into the city. And just, it was like, sort of like crickets. At first people were very excited, but then it waned. And then they're like, well, maybe we need to just focus on reaching people in the suburbs that are more like us. Let's, you know, reach people where we, where we worship, where we play, where, or not worship because their church building was in the inner city, where we work and where we play, I guess. But that year and a half led to a real like clarification of my calling, what God had called me to do and I started reading these books. I'd been reading some some books on on movement, and I I read this book by Steve Addison called Movements That Changed the World. I highly recommend it. Talks about in the beginning St. Patrick and the movement that he started, and just incredible. So many great stories in there. Then I I came upon Alan Hirsch and the Forgotten Ways, and this is like 2019, and I'm like, this is exactly what God has been teaching me for the last 10 years. I need to, you know, step into this. And so just that and and then like spiritual warfare, understanding that the dynamics of what's going on all around us and without prayer, like we're just getting beat and and killed by the the dark forces, strongholds, principalities and powers and we're not even recognizing it and it's almost like, you know, we're too smart, we're too educated for all that, you know, those little spirits or whatever, like that's just old, weird, mythological you know, we kind of ignore it. And so it led to me leaving that church. And on the way out, the very first Sunday, we, we visited another church down the street called People's Church in Cincinnati. And they had the same vision as us. They had the same passion as us. And so we connected. I got to know the pastor there. And at that point, we were already headed back to Los Angeles. But then COVID hit. So we had a little extra time in Cincinnati <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out all those things. And during that time, really connected with the church, People's Church in Cincinnati. And they've been around 120 years, you know, like a long time legacy. They have the same passion, desire that we do to see disciples made, to make access for all peoples, to address real issues, social justice issues, you know, like Jesus came and it says in Luke 4 to bring good news to the poor. It's not good news to tell them, reform your life, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, get a good job, get an education. That's not good news. Good news is when you actually take time to get to know people and you care for them and you help meet needs and you teach them obviously how to fish and not just give them a fish, but it's that relationship part that's usually missing. And so, you know, just meeting real needs, addressing justice issues with biblical justice. And so we came back to LA. We restarted Mission Rise after we had put it on hold for a few years and we retold it. And this is something that I was talking to you about before is that before we were, you know, mobilizing people through these great stories to go reach the unreached. And that's amazing. But then we started noticing that a lot of people that went to go reach the unreached were totally unprepared. You know, it says in First Timothy that someone, even to be a deacon, that they must be tested first you need to go through fire before you can go into certain places where it's so difficult to bring the gospel. And so we retold Mission Rise so that we could equip and train people here in Los Angeles and the San Fernando Valley. And in the, you know, in that meantime, God gave us a vision to launch a movement of prayer and mission in the San Fernando Valley, uniting different churches, all different types of backgrounds, socioeconomic you know, different ethnicities, different languages and tribes, which we have a lot of here in the San Fernando Valley, to unite them together as one body, one church in prayer, and to start to equip people so that thousands of believers could be out in the streets of our city, in the society, in the culture, being cross-cultural, actually serving the city, being good news to the city. You know, you could simply ask this question about any church at anyone in their community and say, if this church disappeared, number one, would it affect you? Number two, would you even care if it was gone? And what do they offer to the community? 
And so if our churches aren't offering anything to the communities that we're in, then we're literally in our own little bubble and we only exist for us. And that's the opposite of, of Jesus' message. So that's what got us to People's Church came out of coming back to LA, starting to launch prayer meetings, prayer groups, doing mission, connecting with a lot of different groups and churches, and a core team formed. So November of 2020, we started meeting in a park, gathering there, and quickly, within a week or two, we started gathering on Saturdays at, mo- at a motel, and that's been going since then. You know, We did Discovery Bible Study in a motel. I could talk more about that if you want me to go into that, but that's what got us to you know coming back to, to plant this church. And we hadn't intended on planting a church. We just were going to be catalyzing prayer and mission, but a core group came together and then realized, you know, the wisdom of having this nonprofit arm that allows me to do classes and equip and and run prayer meetings and gatherings for a broad group of churches and rehab centers come and all different ministries, but on the same time, having a core team in a church where you can always have this, you know, core group that is is doing the work where people can come in and participate with it. So that's what we're doing with People's Church. Yeah, I have a hundred questions, <laughs> good questions, but um, give, give me a couple of stories of what Jesus is doing. Sure. So in the motel, one of the things that I think is really important, you know, we did this, we've created a class we call the 72 class with Shepherd Church here in the Valley. And we did it last summer. We're going to do it again this next, uh, probably February, but it's an evangelism and essentially a DMM training class. And in the class, the first thing we do is we have people look at the scripture in a D, we do a DBS on Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38, where he looks out and he sees that there are a lot of sheep without a shepherd. And so we ask them to, to prayer walk through the community. We just walk around the streets and we say, when you see a gang tag, stop, think about this gang, pray for this gang. When you see someone who's selling you know, stuff on the street, you know, a lot of times they set up and sell things because someone just passed away and they're raising money to pay for the funeral. So ask a question like, hey, you know, what's your business? What are you selling? And, and they'll notice that. And now they can take time to pray for those people who just lost a loved one. So it's seeing the needs around you. So we train people to do that. And so in doing that, we're helping them to see what it is that, that God is doing around you. And one amazing story from all of this that we were doing, we were in the motel and we had this truck that we bought and we bought it for like $3,500 just because that's what we had available. We bought this old box truck. And so it it was breaking down. And at this moment, someone had broken into the church parking lot where it was parked and they tried to steal it and they caused all kinds of damage. And so the truck was just barely operating. It, was, it wasn't running well. And I got to the motel and it ended up dying at the motel at the end of the DBS that we did, the ministry, I couldn't get it to start again. So I'm embarrassed. It's like sitting in the parking lot for three or four days before you get it out of there. But you know, when things like that happen, they really humble you and they make you dependent more on God and you can't protect your reputation. You can't, you know, we're the, you know, we're affected and we're doing a great ministry. It's like, no, we brought a truck to your motel and it died in your parking lot. And now you're just <laughs> sitting there looking at our truck for three or four days. So Anyway, all that to say, we were in a moment like that where I think it was a second time someone had broken into the truck and I couldn't get it started. So we quickly, we have a lot of equipment. We, we get, get like 50, 60, 70 people that show up, but we weren't able to bring the truck on this certain Saturday. And so we just had another person with a car, my car. We loaded in a few of the essentials, like, you know, Bibles and things that we had to have to do a Bible study. So we go off with the cooler, the Bibles, whatever, and we show up. And the story we're doing that day is perfect setup. We're doing the story of the fish and the loaves, the multiplication of the fish and the loaves. And I was just hoping in the back of my mind, oh, hopefully it'll be a light Saturday. We won't have like 60 or 70 people show up. We have very few things, you know, no chairs for people to sit on. They're just going to sit on the blacktop, whatever. But it was like the biggest Saturday. We had so many people show up, of course. And... We're telling the story of the fish and the loaves. And this is just amazing how God times and works everything out. And so clearly he brought this huge crowd. So it was like the story. But then there's this person. A lot of times we get immigrants who just showed up from another country. So we had a family 
who had only been in the motel for three days. They had just come from Nicaragua and they, that was a long journey. That's not like you just flew from Nicaragua. They took the trains. It took like three months. They have five kids. And so them showing up at this motel is a big deal that they're there, but they'd only been there like a few days. And they, and I said, does anybody have a story or a testimony that relates to the story we just told? You know, we told the story and a guy raises his hand, this guy who just had been there a few days. And he's like, you know, yesterday I had, oh, I know what it was. I gave an illustration. I said, this is what it would be like. It'd be like me having $5 in my wallet going over to someone selling a vehicle and saying, hey, can I buy your vehicle for $5? And they would just laugh at you. You know, you can't buy a van or a vehicle for five bucks. So this guy's like, hey, I have a testimony. And he tells the story how the day before he had bought a van, a minivan for $5. Like (laughs) that's what just happened to him. And, you know, and so just the connection there and and how God's already working and, and just showing. And he said, you know, I guess we had, I don't know, maybe it was three or four days or whatever it was, but we had prayed for him, I guess, you know, for, for his needs to be met. And he's like, yeah. And then I just, you know, bought this van for five bucks and we're like, see, yeah, God's working. He's multiplying the, the fish and the loaves. But, you know, we've had dozens and dozens of stories where people get healed through prayer, where, I mean, we've had a lot of families that were really struggling. I, I got another story for you. There was this family, a single mom, five kids, and she's in the motel and she comes on a Saturday and she's really distraught, really freaked out because they just told her that she's going to be kicked out of the motel because they found that she had some kind of electric grill, you know, that she was using to cook some food and you're not allowed to have it there. But it's weird because LA Family Housing gives them these items and then, you know, they, they're the ones paying for the motel for them to stay there. But the motel, it's, it's illegal. So they're caught in the middle. Anyway, she says, I can't get a hold of my social worker. I don't know what to do. They told me I got to leave Monday morning. And we're like, look, uh, you know, we're just going to have to put this in God's hands. So we pray with her. We ask the Lord to provide a way. Monday, I call her around like one o'clock and she's like, pastor, you won't believe what happened. God stood with us. She said that they had packed up everything. They were moving out of the room. They didn't know where they were going to go. And at the last moment, they're turning in the key and the manager says, oh, you know what? Don't worry about it. You can stay. And she's like, what do you mean? I can yeah, it's all solved. Your vouchers, you know, fine. Everything's fine. And to this day, she has no idea what happened. Yeah. Wow. There was no conversation. So it's just, you know, God moving in power. Yeah. Those are awesome. So I went and visited or participated, however you would like to say, at one of your outreaches at the motel. And I was really impressed by what you do, but it was, it was just, it was very simple, but strategic, like, like simple in a good way. Right. So you show up, you set up a couple of tents and then, you know, there's some food or different things. And then, and then there's a whole bunch of people that show up. I don't know, maybe not a whole bunch, but it was like 20 people or something like that. And one guy was a painter and another guy owned a, like a, I think it was a Sri Lankan restaurant, something like that. And then, you know, it was just normal people. And then everybody goes up and just knocks on the doors and said, Hey, we've got some food for you, which is just serving their needs because they don't have it. And then is there anything we can pray about? And I think on the team that I went with, a third of the people we got to pray with, right? For whatever it was. Yeah. And then you invite them to a DBS and some people come and and just normal people are doing the DBSs. And I gotta be honest with you, they're the worst DBSs ever, right? But they're the best DBSs ever. You know what I mean? Cause it's just it's just a guy like stepping out saying, Okay, Jesus, you know, like <laughs> We're just going to trust you. Like, it's not textbook is what I mean to say. Yeah. And so I think that's really like sometimes when we talk about movements and when we want to see LA and all this kind of stuff, like there's can be the tendency to make it really bigger than it, than it is. Right. It's just the simpleness of ministry. So am I accurate? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. When we set out to, to launch people's church, we said we wanted to be about three things. We wanted to make everything we did accessible, empowering, and reproducible. So we still don't have a worship leader. We have no musicians. We use a block rocker. 
We've been doing this almost two years. We're praying for a worship leader. We don't have one. I lead our worship with a speaker and lyrics on a sheet, on a piece of paper. Old school. So the idea is we, we realize that, you know, Jesus said that the gospel is simple enough for a child to understand. And that, in fact, if we don't have childlike faith, we'll never enter the kingdom of God. And I think the more that we complicate things, of course, it may make us feel like, oh, it looks better. It seems more successful or whatever. But the truth is, the easier it is to do what you're doing, the more spreadable it is. You know, it's, it's going to spread through the community. That's what I love about Discovery Bible Study is that we, we tell a story and we ask people to retell it in their own words. That's my favorite part. I have had the most colorful retellings of stories in the motel that I've ever heard in my life. The Bible comes alive in a whole new vernacular because you have people telling it in street language. You know, like my homie over here was doing this and then, you know, and they totally put it into their own context. So yeah, simple is good. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know. I, I, I just think simple oftentimes. Well, there's a particular uh, philosophy where I live comes out of a particular church that we must do everything with excellence, right? And and I think that in a lot of ways that actually hinders the gospel, you know, because that's basically code for perfectionism. And and we all know that that's not that that's not great. But it's it's the simpleness. And the, yeah, I mean, you're a musician, you know, the songs that the church sings, the ones that are the most popular, are the simplest songs. Not the most like Tommy Walker at CA, like his songs are just like musical, like he's a genius, right? Nobody <laughs> sings them because <laughs> nobody can play it. The songs that are the most popular are the song that some youth kid that played, that started playing a month ago can play. And those are the mm -hmm. ones that churches everywhere in America and across the world can sing. But we don't take our cue from that. Like the simpler it is, the more it can spread. Um, and so I just appreciated when I was with you guys, like the, the, the simpleness of what you were doing and uh, just kind of seeing the dynamic play out. But let me just uh, give you the last kind of question or your last thoughts on what can the everyday believer do right now to start making disciples and spur on movement? So whether they're just the person sitting in the back of the pew and they passed out bulletins once five years ago, or they just came to Jesus and everywhere in between. What, what is your encouragement to those folks? Well, I think the first thing is don't be afraid of what you don't know. It's actually better if you're not the expert. Experts have a hard time even doing DMM, I think. You know, sometimes we put so much emphasis on knowing all the right things that we just become afraid to do it wrong. And it causes us, you know, the paralysis of analysis. So the tips I would give is number one, you got to get hungry for God and, and you have to become desperate to the point where you can't do anything else. Like you're compelled to follow Jesus commands. And I, and I think that that hunger, that change of heart that happens inside of us, it starts by Scriptures like Matthew 9, 35 to 38, looking at that and, and really allowing God to speak to you through that. When you see the suffering and the pain of others, and maybe even just acknowledging your own pain and suffering and seeing how God intervenes and how he meets you in that place, that is the place where you can start to you know engage with people. But prayer is so incredibly powerful. And the simplest of prayers, again, everything's simple, just to go start praying blessings over people, you know, especially those who are maybe the most irritating, maybe those who, you know, you, whether they're, they're really in need or whether they're someone who you're like, man, I wish we could get rid of that problem. Those are probably the ones that you should be praying for. And God will start to do a work in your heart. And I think that, you know, there's a scripture that says those who are forgiven much love much. Well, we tend to read a scripture like that and think, oh, well, you know, I wasn't, a murderer or a drug dealer or a criminal or whatever. So maybe I just won't ever experience that sort of level of love and forgiveness because I'm not really forgiven for so much. 
But I think that's the problem is that we don't really think that we're forgiven for much. So we're not really very desperate for the love of God to, to really rescue us. And so we haven't really experienced it to the depths where it moves us to want to see others rescued as well. So really, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus says one key thing in there. He uses two Greek words that the whole thing hinge on. Makarios is the word that we translate blessing, the blessed life, the good life. But the other word is teleos, and it's translated usually as perfect, that you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But the word teleos means whole. It's this idea of wholehearted devotion. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says some very difficult commands, you know, that we read in there. And we're like, how can anyone actually ever do this? Well, what he's trying to teach us is that with the power of God, with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can be made whole so that these things that you see in scripture and that you say you believe, that they can actually become true about you from the inside out. And so I think that's the most important part is your heart has to change. If you're just cold as ice towards non-believers, towards the lost, then it's a heart issue, you know? And I think I would say one, one last thing about the church in general in America, in the West, is that we really need to repent of a lot of things, especially our egotism, our ethnocentrism. Like we are just about us. We just be honest. Like why are people not coming to the church? Because they don't want to be like us. You know, they, they don't see something that's attractive to them. And all the show, all the, you know, um, programs and things that we might want to offer uh, that's trying to attract people, the reality is they really, they want the root issues to get addressed, you know? And so just simple acts of kindness go so far. And I think that's, that's a good place to start. Mm, thank you so much. Thanks, Kurt, for joining us. If if someone wanted to get a hold of you or check out more about kind of what you're doing, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, so we have a website, peopleschurchla.com. Also, we have a YouTube channel. We have one for the church, one for Mission Rise. The Mission Rise one is called Testify, and there's some really powerful testimonies on there. Also, missionrise.tv, that's the Mission Rise website. And there's a link on there under media where you could watch our movie Los Trapagantes, which is on Vimeo. And if you hear this podcast, I'll give you a free rental code. Just <laughs> type in all caps, free in Jesus name, and you'll get a free rental of our movie Los Trapagantes. I'm on it, man. Anything free. <laughs> Let's there do it. Go. Yeah. Kurt, thanks again, man. Really, really appreciate it, dude. So good. So good. So anyway, thanks for joining us for this episode of Only on a Sunday. If you enjoyed the content offered on these podcasts and would like to support us and our team, we would encourage you to check out the scvunderground.org. We truly appreciate any support from our listeners. And thanks again for joining us. And we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.